Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette. I'm in Rockefeller Center on a beautiful fall day, and I am so delighted for my next guest. If you know anything about eyebrows, then you know about Anastasia Soare. There is no question that she is the eyebrow queen. But more than that, she is an unbelievable entrepreneur. She has an incredible story, and I can't wait to dive in after a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. I cannot even explain to you how excited I am to have Anastasia Soare on the show today. I met Anastasia in California at a Goldman Sachs conference, and I was absolutely blown away by her business acumen, her incredible eyebrows, and everything about her. (laughs) Anastasia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lydia, for having me today. It is such a pleasure. And I know that we are going to dive into your entrepreneurial journey and all of the incredible things that you have created. But I want to start at the beginning because your story is quite unusual. You were born in Romania. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I was born in Romania from an emigrant family. My grandparents emigrated from Macedonia in 1939. So, yeah, I grew up in Romania. And what age did you grow up in Romania until? How old were you? Oh, I was 30. 30 when you left. Yes. Half of my life I lived there and half here. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. And how were you as a child? What were you like as a child? Because I know of you as this incredible boss woman, but was that who you were? Were you setting up (laughs) lemonade stands or whatever you set up in Romania in your front yard? (laughs) No, actually not. My mother was an entrepreneur. I mean, we lived in a communist regime. So my father died when I was 12. So she needed to figure out how to, you know, have a source of income and she knew how to market herself. So she had this atelier where making clothes for women and not only a great marketer, she was very skilled in what she did. She mastered her craft, but she loved what she did. She worked so many hours. It's absolutely incredible because I remember I go back and I remember I used to tell her like, mom, you work so much. Aren't you bored or tired? These women are not easy to deal with because I was a kid. I couldn't understand what business means. And she said, no, I love what I do. I was asked by my daughter the same questions and it was almost like deja vu. And I said, oh my God, I asked my mother the same questions and I bet you will be asked by, I hope your daughter, the same questions because you will grow up and you will end up like us because you become your mother. What <laughs> an the incredible the thing to watch as a child too. So did you yes. go with her to the atelier? The atelier was in front of our house. So I lived there. My father died and she came to me. I was very young, 12. And she said, you have to help me to run the business. And I said, well, mom, I'm young. I don't know anything about business. She said, no, you are smart. I will teach you everything. After I will come back from school, I will do my homework between sewing machines. I had my own table. And when she was uh, 
a way to buy, I don't know, fabrics or anything that she needed for her business, I will sit there and watch the workers. And and obviously I started learning what they needed to do. Because I was in art school and I learned technical design, I used to draw uh, the dresses for my mom's because she had a huge uh, booklet, a, a Vogue magazine booklet. I don't know where she got it from. And the client will come and she will pick the dress that she liked it. And my mom will start measuring the body and she will say, well, we need to balance her body better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was my first introduction on uh, balance and proportion. And I used to design the dress according to the client's body. So this is how my journey started as a kid. And not that I liked it, but I had to do it because yeah. <laughs> I had to help my mom. Yeah. As a kid, I think I was extremely curious to learn and to find out more about. My uncle was um, incredible with the wood. He will sculpture the wood. He was making furniture, but uh, the really intricate furniture. My sister used to spend time playing with her dolls. I was in my uncle at kind of he will give me a chisel and, and trying to learn how to do the woodwork. And I was kind of curious about how things work. I yeah. think my brain was always how everything functions was very interesting to me. And, and I will have a great chemistry teacher and I wanted to learn how things work. I wasn't um, a student because I think was more important for me to learn and dive in different uh, arenas than being the first in the class. Well, it also sounds like you had this incredible microcosm of entrepreneurism. You're watching your mom create this business out of necessity. Yes. And, you know, there's also something to be said when you're in a situation, I'm sure, with losing your father, where you're stepping into this role that you didn't expect to be in at such a young age and supporting your mom, not only, you know, as a daughter, but also as probably in many ways a business partner to her at a very young age. Exact, exact. So I start learning about business without even thinking or I didn't register that those were the beginning of my days as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, when you are a kid, you want to do totally different things that what your parents will ask you to do. But I think at the end were beneficial. I learned a lot. I learned so much from my mother, mm -hmm. uh, not only watching her I got her work ethic, but I think I learned so many things from her. Yeah. And I love to hear this. And I know that so many of the listeners who listen to this podcast are women who have small businesses and are running them from their homes or are working moms. And there is something so wonderful as a working mom of three to hear what you're saying right now, because I truly believe that I'm setting the example for my daughters by doing the things that I'm doing outside of my home as well, which feels so great when you hear from somebody who is a living and breathing example of someone who watched her mom create this inc incredible life, even because of something that obviously you would never wish on anyone. But as a result of that, look at you and what you've been able to create with those lessons. Yeah. And you know, I have to say, I'm sure I judged my mother when I was little because she didn't spend time with me as outside of the business. Yeah. And later on, my daughter was claiming the same, like you don't spend, you work all the time, you are never at my school. But at the end of the day, when you watch your mother working, this is what you learn. And at the end of the day, you become that person 
and you don't resent what you know when you are a kid you used to say like i want you to spend and to come to school like all the other moms when i have activities because i i couldn't i couldn't do that my mother couldn't do that and at the end of the day you show your kid that we work really hard to provide for the family and they will end up doing the same thing which is not a bad thing Oh, Anastasia, I think you're speaking to the heart of so many people listening right now. Those are some wonderful words. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. And so you've taken, obviously, at this point, you're learning all these things when you're younger, but then you took this and at the age of 30, you decided to leave Romania and go to Los Angeles. Can you tell me a little bit about that and talk to me about what that took in terms of confidence to pick up and move to a different country? You didn't speak English, did you? I didn't speak the language, but in the 80s, the situation in Romania became really unbearable, was very bad, extremely bad. And I wanted to have the freedom of speech. I wanted to have the freedom to not at six o'clock have the, your electricity cut off and in the winter not have heat. So I decided to me and my husband to leave. My husband was ship captain. So in 1987, we decided he should defect the ship in Italy and go to American embassy and ask for political asylum. It was a very tough decision. That wasn't easy. Mm. And my husband that was traveling a lot, I never left Romania because I wasn't allowed. But my husband always pointed out like, it's not that easy. We have family here. We have a structure. We have a, a base here. Do you understand what that means to go there? You don't, we don't know anyone and you don't speak the language. And I like, no, I don't, I don't care. I want to get out of here. So you were really pushing to leave. Like this was very much what you wanted to do. Yes. My husband really wasn't a fan of doing that. And he left in 87 and I waited three years to leave the country. Mm. Going to Los Angeles for my husband was kind of not that easy. We used to talk on the phone and he said one day, you know, it's going to be really difficult. You don't understand, but it's going to be very difficult for you because you don't speak the language. I will suggest you should go to beauty school because there are a lot of people or a lot of women, Romanian, that live in Los Angeles and they were doctors, professors, engineers in Romania, and they are esthetician here. It's easier for them to get a job in that arena. And I really didn't believe that I would work as an esthetician, but I had to wait and I finished beauty school. So when I came here, I got my um, license, uh, California license actually Mm -hmm. here. I had to go to learn little English in, in evening classes because I didn't speak at all. Can you just tell me what it was like to come to a country where you did not speak the language at all. I mean, in terms of just what is that like? Because I, obviously we're at a very interesting time in our country on many levels, but tell us what that's really like to move to a place where you don't speak the language, you don't have the infrastructure. What does that feel like? Oh, it feels like you are lost in space. It was, I cannot even explain how difficult, how, how incredible strange was for me. I didn't speak the language. I couldn't understand what people were saying. I couldn't express myself. I didn't know anyone. And it was extremely difficult. I think I cried for six months. My first six months, I cried every single day. And you know what? 
we couldn't go back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a way, it was probably good because you didn't have another yes, choice, right? I'm sure after exactly. month two, oh, you if, were ready to go back on the ship. It was like like here right now, today, with the, if I had the possibility to go back, I will go back because yeah. it was very difficult. Not having the family, not having the, not speaking the language was probably the biggest impediment for me. We didn't have a choice. I started going to learn English. And after like a few months, I thought, okay, enough with this crying. Yeah. We have to do what we have to do. It's difficult, but I, we have to bite the bullet and let's go and do something. So I met a wonderful lady, Romanian, that was pregnant. She needed to take three months off from being an esthetician. And we made a deal that I could replace her. She will introduce me to the owner of the salon and I could work um, uh, replace her for three months and when she will come back I will leave and it was important for me that I will get some experience there yeah. little do they know so, who they were letting in <laughs> <laughs> so it was wonderful to learn there were two ladies that I'm forever grateful an Italian and a German lady Giovanna in Utah that was the name of the salon and I learned so much from those ladies. So if I, obviously when I started the first week, I wasn't that busy because I didn't have the clients. I would be in front where they had their area, the front desk, and I will clean their desk. I will cut whatever I needed to do just to hear what they are talking with the clients, how they approach the clients, how they were so elegant and they were so incredible the way they treat the clients. And, and it was so new for me. I love them. I learned so much from Giovanna and Utah. And I started building my business. I wanted to do my best and after three months, when my friend Mihaela came back, they loved me so much. I already built a clientele of my own and they kept me there. So I worked there for a year and a half. And for some reason, I was looking at my picture in Romania. Not that I had so many pictures because, you know, we didn't have social the media. iPhone yeah. and yeah, social <laughs> media. And I realized that my eyebrows, because in the 80s, the fashion was very thin and round, I looked surprised in the pictures. And I remember my art teacher always saying, if you want to draw a portrait and you want to change an emotion, you change the eyebrows. Yeah. Did We did several studies using the Leonardo da Vinci technique that he used in all his work, applying golden proportion. So I started going to the library. We didn't have a computer. So I took my daughter every night at the library and I started going and kind of revisiting the theory of Leonardo and his study of the human face and how to shape the eyebrow according everybody's bone structure and natural shape. So I fixed my own eyebrows and the clients will look at me and like, wow, you, you look different. I don't know, something is there, it's your hair, you look, prettier. You're like, what? I don't know what it is. And uh, I start sharing and I start shaping their eyebrows. That was my platform of learning how every body, every face will be different, every eyebrow shape and every eyebrow hair. And so I was too late for my facial because I was starting with the eyebrows and the next client every hour I was booked with a facial or body waxing and the owners start complaining. And I told them that I think we should start doing eyebrow shaping. And there was no eyebrow shaping at this point. This wasn't really a thing. Not really, right? not really, yes. I said, I have this technique and I think this we, we could do 
eyebrows here. I'm like, no, no, we cannot charge. You, you should not do eyebrows. Do only a, a body waxing and facial. Well, after a few months, one Sunday, we had breakfast and I opened LA Times. I went, I bought the LA Times and I told my husband, I'm gonna open my own business. This is a year and a half after I came to United States. Wait, what gave you the confidence to do this? Is this having seen your mom? Is this just a belief in yourself that you can you do this? You know what? I really believed in that eyebrow technique. I believe that that science combined with beauty and the human eyes encoded. I mean, I did several study. Yeah. Uh, the human eyes encoded to recognize balance and proportion on the face. So it was very important, the shape of the eyebrows. It really changes the face, the expression brings balance and the human eyes encoded to recognize that and you are perceived as beautiful if your eyebrow shape is perfect. You bring so much balance. It's the most important feature on our face. Yeah. So I really believed in it, number one. Number two, when he told me, when I told him that I want to open my own business, he looked at me, it's like, are you crazy? I don't work, I don't have a job, you are the only one. And by the way, there are American people born in this country and they don't own their businesses. What makes you believe that you could do that? You, you barely speak the language. And I said, what do I have to lose? This is why we came mm. in this country. Yeah. We left everything there. We need to try the craziest thing. I, I, I believe in this and I, I really, I want to do it. And what do I have to lose? If this doesn't work, I will go and work in another salon. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't that happy, but really nothing was going to happen to stop me. I have to say. You just knew I that saved, you were going to do it. Yes. Yeah. I saved myself all the year and a half that I worked there. I saved myself $5,000. And again, at home, I will come from work. I will iron. I will clean. I will like no, no uh, housekeeper for me, mm -hmm. no restaurants, no nothing. I saved every penny. And I really rented the room I found in the LA Times was Juan Juan Salon renting a room. I rent that room. I'm not saying it wasn't scary, but I said, there's no way I will go back. There's no way I will not try this because that's why I came here. I came here in this country for that American dream. And I have to follow. I have to do that. I have to push myself. And my mother, I have to say, I called my mother. I was like, mom, I want to like, absolutely do it. Oh, I love that. I will come there. Yeah, I will come there and I will help you. I will stay with Claudia. Claudia was a baby. I will take care of her, but you you have to do it. So um, I rented was kind of crazy, but I have to tell you that I worked that place. I will go to the salon because it was a hair salon where I rented the room. I will do eyebrows and, and services for all the hairstylists, colorists, shampoo girls, whatever it was, because I wanted them to send me clients. To refer you clients, yeah. The room was across the street from Neiman Marcus and Saks. I will go to the makeup counter and offer my service for free, just they will send me clients. Mm. The makeup artists realize that if a client has the eyebrow shaped already, it's easier for them to do makeup and the eye looks open, bigger. So they understood better than anyone how important eyebrows were. So that was the beginning of my journey in that little room that I worked there for six years. 
You know, it's funny, Anastasia, I was speaking on a panel two nights ago and there were a lot of young entrepreneurs and somebody was asking about how to grow your business. And one of the other panelists said, the Tupperware party is not dead, meaning the boots on the ground marketing, the one-on-one relationship. I think people think, oh, I've got to go in and buy this Facebook ad and do all this stuff. In fact, exactly what you're doing is often what gets you the loyal clients. Isn't that right? What was very important and what I learned from my mother was... I am going to have this client and genuinely I want to do everything possible to make her look and feel the best. Mm -hmm. She needed to trust me and I will have her best interest. I will try my best. I will recommend her what is best for her. I will never recommend something that I will have a doubt myself. The client was my walking advertising so it didn't matter. And I was working from the beginning with the biggest celebrities and I am forever grateful for the validation and the trust I had from them. But my everyday clients were as important as my celebrity clients because every three weeks they will come back to the salon. They will send me their mother, their sister, their best friend. They believed in me and I was so grateful for what they did. But I have to say, I will be present. This is what I, yesterday I I came from San Diego. We had the national training day with my uh, US team. And I was telling them, you need to be present what you do. This is my client. I am present. I listen, everything she tells me. I will remember 20 years later what she was telling me at that moment. Mm -hmm. I will make sure I do the best job on this client. I am present. I need to focus on her. When I am at work and when I went to work, all my personal problem, I will left them at home and I will be there and present. I am there to make money, to have as many clients as I can to do my business. Yes. I'm not going to work thinking of I don't know who or checking my phone phone or no, I am present because this when I'm in vacation, I'm in vacation. I don't want to think of work. But when I'm at work, I am focused 110 percent. And I truly think when you're selling luxury more than anything, people want that entire experience. And you're right. You don't want to be experiencing something that you're paying a lot of money for, for this incredible service, which is is not something you need to do, but something you want to do and then have the person not engaged or Absolutely. not feeling like you're getting the experience that you've paid to be there. But, you know, it's funny because the story could really end here. You know, you have this incredibly successful career, but then because I know a lot of the people listening are also entrepreneurs, there's the other part of this, which is how you've scaled this business to a multi, multi, multi-million dollar business, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times over. Can you talk to me about how that started? Because it is easy to do one business, but unless you scale, you work until the last day of your life, right? So talk to us about what that looked like. How did that start for you? What was that journey like? So what was very important, I mastered my craft. So I've done eyebrows after eyebrows after I I wanted to be the best in what I did. It was very important for me to achieve that craftsmanship that I am the best in what I was doing. After I felt confident, and of course, how I felt confident, what made me believe that my clients, that they will repeatedly every three weeks, they will come back. Mm That what gives you confidence. So one day being in my room, the next door room, this lady Yolanda 
came out with a piece of cake and she said, oh, I'm turning 60 today. And I said, Yolanda, I'm here for six years. I barely see you because you're all the time working inside your room. How many years did you spend here? When when did you start? They're like, oh, I'm here for 20 years. I looked at the manager of the, the store and I thought, oh my God, 20, there's no way I will be here 20 years from now on. Yeah. I, I need to get out. I need to open a salon. I was thinking of that, but I was kind of, in a way scared or com- or I was comfortable because I was so busy in that mm-hmm. little room. And I thought, okay, it's time to move. It's yeah. time for me after six years, I build an incredible clientele. They trust me, they believe in me. And every time the client will come, I will use eyeshadow mixing with Vaseline and aloe vera to create this pomade. And I use that, the client will go home and after the shower, she will see the empty spots. They used to tell me like, we need that products. You have to make us the product. So I realized I need to rent a space to open the salon and go to Beauty Summit to, and I went to Cosmetic um, Cosmoprof in Italy to start making the products. I found a space around the corner on Bedford Drive and I saw that space was empty for two years and I went to with the broker to see the, the owner and rent the place. When he heard that I'm doing eyebrows, he didn't want to rent me the space. <laughs> He's he said, like, like, nah, you're probably not going to be here lady, that long. <laughs> he said, lady, this is Beverly Hills. You don't make enough money to pay rent in Beverly Hills with eyebrows. But it was important to you to be in Beverly Hills, right? Because that's part of the branding, yeah, right? I, I was yeah. around the corner. It was important to have the parking and to be in Beverly Hills. Yeah. It's, the name of the company was Anastasia Beverly Hills. <laughs> so I stayed there two hours and convince the owner to rent me the place. And at well, the what end, did you say? What was your what was oh, your sales I tried, pitch? <laughs> Two I hours. Tried every, I tried everything from oh look at me, I have so many magazines. I'm in so many magazines. I work with all the celebrities. Like yeah, he will not budge. At the end, I said, look, I'm sure you or your parents or your grandparents were immigrants in this country because this is a country of immigrants. Somebody gave them a chance. Can you please give me a chance? Mm-hmm. And can this place is empty for two years? Mm-hmm. Give it to me for six months. And if I don't make it, I will leave myself. Yeah. And he thought, he looked at me like, okay, I will give it to you for six months. But if you are not paying the rent, you have to get out. Like, okay, John, I will. Meanwhile, you knew you would be there forever. <laughs> oh, just like was nothing. I will work there 24 hours and, and I will still make the rent. So I opened after a week was a line around the corner. So he called one day and he said, well, I come here earlier than when you guys, you opened the store and it's a line outside. It's like, are you sure you do eyebrows there? <laughs> it's like, John, I John? told you I'm going to make the street famous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love so John, John the Doubter. And you just jo- showed him how it was better. Yeah, I you told knew. you so, yes. <laughs> so it was, of course, in a way scary, but it was no way I will not make it happen. And I opened that. It's so funny because, you know, with confidence and people talk about confidence and having confidence. And I like to say that confidence isn't born when you're successful. It's born in moments like that. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. You get the confidence every single day. And in my case, I think, of course, I watch my mother always. She gave me the confidence. You could do 
everything you want. You just go for it. And what you fail, you start another road. And it's like always you have to have plan A and plan B. Plan A, let's hope you succeed, but plan B, have it. And maybe it's a different uh, strategy. Always do that. But my mother always um, um, raised me to believe that everything is possible. And you were showing yeah. her that it was, I mean, obviously. And I yes. think the plan B too is so much about the failure piece that things don't always work out the way that you think they're going to work out. And that is yes. okay too. Absolutely. I think for me, what I, all, I've done so many things that didn't go right. Okay. I study, I look, okay, what I could do in the future better to not do the same mistakes. And then immediately I will move to plan B. I don't want to waste my time thinking, oh my God, I fail, I didn't do it. Like, I, no, I don't have the time for that. Yeah. If I want to grow and, and achieve my dream, I don't have time for the past. I yeah. cannot change the past. Yeah. The only thing I could do is just change the future. And keep moving forward. So keep moving constantly, yeah. So when did Oprah cross paths with you? When did that happen? Because that must have been a, a real moment. Oh, that was my my Oscar moment. I always say that. <laughs> so I um, opened the salon in 97 and in 1998, 98, we got a phone call at the front desk that Oprah wants me to do her eyebrow live on her show. And um, yeah, it was... I went to Chicago. I didn't believe that it would be live, but when I saw it was live, it was kind of, you know, like, wow. I mean, Oprah at that time was what is in social media altogether today. Yeah. She was the person, the, the most influential person in the world, not the United States, in yeah. the world. Because every country I went, they all saw me on Oprah. So she was so graceful and so wonderful to me. And through my career, I have to say that her support meant so much to me and to my business. No question about. What was it like to be standing on the stage at that moment when Oprah was at the top of the Oprah mountain, if you will, in the the public domain, thinking back to the woman who left Romania at the age of 30, who didn't speak English, who'd found her way to Los Angeles, who'd gone to the beauty school. What was that moment like? Oh, I have even a better story for you. Oh, so please. when I came, <laughs> we had only one TV. We didn't have money to buy more than one TV. So my husband used to watch the news and the Laker game. Lakers was, was everything in our uh, household. And I made a deal with him and I said, look, I want to watch only one hour a day. The rest you could watch, but I want to watch this woman. I didn't know who Oprah was. I want to watch this woman, her show, because I want to learn English watching her show. And he said, but you don't understand the language. It's like, yeah, I don't, but I will learn the language watching her show. And I want to watch and learn how she asks questions because one day I'm going to be on her show. Of course, I didn't think of that, but I, just to make him nervous or, or yeah. angry. Okay. <laughs> so every day I would watch Oprah show. I barely could uh, understand. Sometimes I will ask him, can you translate? I need to learn. And to be live on her show, it was like a, a miracle to me. And uh, second, I was nervous when I got there, but when I started doing eyebrows, I thought, I know this, this is, I own this, I'm the best on this. Mm -hmm. And I hold my hand and I told Oprah, like, please allow me to do this, I'm the best in what I do. Mm -hmm. 
nobody is like you. I don't think will ever exist a host like you, mm. Oprah, but I think I am the best in doing eyebrows. I master my craft. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I start doing fast eyebrow and it was incredible the before and after. And not only that, she gave me 12 minutes on live TV. This is huge. Yeah, you can't even um, pay for that kind of advertising. You, no, no, no. It's like no. Super Bowl she, times 50. She, exactly. She was so generous to me. Not only that time, I went several times on her show and and she was incredible. What can I say? She was uh, an instrumental a part of my career. It's like getting many times my Oscar on her stage. So what happened after that? Oh, the phone will ring. Like We could not stop answering the call and we, I, I mean, I had two hands. I was doing a hundred <laughs> eyebrows a day. Meanwhile, John but was standing I outside was like, wow, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I never expected well, this. <laughs> I know. Um, so it, it was a, a different level of um, awareness about me. Before Oprah, I was on on um, every magazine. So I, I was already working with so many celebrities, but, but her, was a completely different level of awareness all over the world. All over the world. So then when did you start to really scale from products, one store? I mean, you mentioned a national sales training. Where did you go from there? Because again, I think the brass tacks for people who are listening and really understanding how you build something once you've had initial success, maybe not yes. over success, but some success. What's the next step? So in 99, I was on her show. We already were selling the products in the salon, my products, because I already had the eyebrow products. It was such a craziness with being on Oprah and how the phone will not stop ringing that um, Nordstrom's, of course, with the awareness, came to and we had a meeting. Their sales uh, team came and said, we want to have your products in our store. And I went there and I said, look, I'm flattered and it's important to sell this, but we need to have brow studios in, in Nordstrom because the clientele, the client doesn't know how to use a pomade or how to use the powder on their eyebrows. And in the early 2000, late 90, people weren't that, that savvy with eyebrows. Right mm. now, everybody knows about eyebrows, but it's like no no awareness of what. So I, we like need to building teach the, the audience, clients, yeah. building the audience and teaching the client how to use our products mm -hmm. and what is the best shape for their face. So they were wonderful partners and we opened brow studios. So we have right now around 80 brow studios in Nordstrom around the country still. And you, that was great because they were already there. So you're not building bricks and mortar as well. Correct, correct. Yeah. And it was incredible. What that did, I worked um, Tuesday to Saturday in the salon. Saturday after work, I will take my carry-on and go to different towns, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, to do events in Nordstrom. So basically I work seven days a week, yeah. but I brought awareness and, and it was wonderful being in the shows. And again, I went on Oprah show and this is how I did with it. It wasn't the iPhone, wasn't the Instagram, mm -hmm. was the, um, the boots on the ground. Yeah. And that was amazing. In 2007, we start selling in Sephora and then Ulta and Macy's, but in 2012, because I used to take my daughter with me, 
she started working at the salon as a receptionist when she was in school and then she became a manager at the salon. She started managing and I used to take her with me at Nordstrom. I used to shape eyebrows and she sold the clients, mm -hmm. the, the products. And she came one day like, mom, I, I can't do this. I mean, I work like seven days a week. Let's, is this app that we should have a presence there? It's called Instagram. So, so because of her, yes, she was brilliant. She started putting our products on Instagram. And when I realized from the beginning, we posted one post with the Browis, the pencil, the, the skinny, our bestseller. Of course, we were reading every comment oh, that, yeah. and was one lady that said, oh my God, I love this pencil. I want to buy it, but I can't. I said, send me your address. I will ship you one. She said, well, I, you can because I live in a small village in India. And I thought, oh my, oh my God, God, I will reach. never reach a person in India if it wasn't for this. So yeah. then full on, I mean, we worked and me and my daughter, we managed Instagram until 2018, believe it or not. Oh my goodness. And it grew our business incredible. We launched the makeup on Instagram and our website. And then Macy's agreed to launch the makeup in the Macy's stores. And it was because of Instagram, it, it, it was a frenzy. We didn't even they sold the products from their back room, didn't even have time to put it on the gondola in Macy's. It was an incredible journey. And so what would you say for people who are wary of social media? What would you give us? Give us a couple of tips that you've learned about Instagram or TikTok. What do you think is so important when you're trying to sell things online? You have to be authentic. Mm -hmm authentic. You have to give something to the clients that, that you, you need to believe in your products. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have to offer the clients tips. Why is the product good and um, how to use it? That's very important and be authentic. I think that, and you have to have a presence constant. Social media is a constant work. Yeah. Don't you think that you post one something and it's going to change your life. No, you need to stay engaged with the consumer, yeah. with the people. You and need to show them, engaged. show them what you're doing yes. and show them who you are. Yes. Yes. So first of all, you own a hundred percent of your company. Is that correct? I did until 2018. And in 2018, tell us what happened, because this is such an amazing thing. So in 2018, I decided I wanted to expand international. And I wanted to partner with somebody that has experience, has operation ability to help us expand internationally in every country. So we got a partner and we sold the minority to TPG, mm -hmm. a wonderful hedge fund company. And we were able to expand. We are in 35 countries right now. Oh but I hire a company to kind of evaluate, to put, because we didn't have even a CFO. Yeah. I hire a company to evaluate the worth of the company and we offer then to few companies. We, I didn't want to go to too many to get the partner. And um, to my surprise, the company was evaluated to $3 billion. I was almost 
dead when I heard. I thought like, whoa. You're like three, I'm sorry, I three mean, million? Like, no, three I, billion. billion. Three yes. billion, yeah. So I thought, yes, I came here for the American dream, but that's an American dream. That I mean, it's an American dream, Anastasia. That that's is, an American dream. I think that's a dream anywhere in the world, anywhere you could go. But obviously such a testament to your hard work and your innovation and everything that you've done, being an early adopter to Instagram. And so, you know, I think anyone could look at this story and think to themselves, like you have done all the work to get to where you are. And if anyone deserves it, it is certainly someone who has put in the amount of work that you have put in. I can't thank you enough for spending this time with me. I feel like I've learned so much from this and I'm sure our listeners are going to absolutely eat this episode up and hopefully share it and reshare it, especially all those moms out there who are you know, slogging away at their entrepreneurial journey and hoping that there's going to be something like this in their future. I think you give everyone a lot of hope for the excitement Uh, of things to come. Oh, Lydia, thank you so much for having me. And I want to close this with telling everyone that is listening that I believe everybody could do what I did, that just they need to believe in themselves. Everyone, everyone could do even more You guys, if you are born in this country, if you live in this country, if you come here when you are younger than I was, I was 30, (laughs) not speaking the language. And I started, if you believe in yourself and you should, because you are great, you could do anything you want, just believe you could do it. And I believe in you. And the, the reason why I want to share always my story is just to make everybody understand. If I was able to do it, you could do it too. Where can we find you? Where can we follow this journey? What can we look for next? So I have my personal Instagram, Anastasia Suare, and of course the brand, Anastasia Beverly Hills. But my next chapter is, of course, I still work in the company. I'm still a CEO. I work nonstop and and I'm hands-on. But my next chapter I think will be to bring awareness to the brand, to everyone and as well help entrepreneurs believing in themselves, kind of sharing my story and and giving them the the confidence that if I was able to do it, they could do it too. I remember when I started and I will, Oprah was for me such a mentor. I remember I, I used to come home and I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is hard. This yeah. is, and, and remember, it wasn't a walk in the park for yeah. me. Yes, now uh, I could, tell you that, oh my God, the company is here. But trust me, it was a hard work and many days of, oh my God, I'm going to give up. I can't do this anymore. But I will go to sleep and I will think, okay, what Oprah will do? She never gave up. I have to do it the same. I can't give up. I will wake up the next morning and start all over again. I usually ask a question for our the listeners at the end of this. But instead of asking a question, I just want to reiterate something that you've said that I'm feeling so deeply right now, which is believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. I know that at this time in our lives, there is so much noise and self-doubt and so many things going on. And I truly believe the only person who can be responsible for the life they want to live is you. So I echo that. I thank you for being here. I thank you to Rockefeller Center for this beautiful studio and for Joe, my trusty producer who gets everything done. This is Claim Your Confidence, everyone. I can't wait to be here with you again next Tuesday, but this has been an extraordinary interview and I cannot thank you enough for being here, Anastasia. Thank you, Lydia.